0: do that, <laughs> but we do have some things to take care of tonight. All right, Mrs. Trotter, would you get in your seat, please? <laughs> she loves when I do that. <laughs> um, hey, it is so good to be with you guys again, and uh, obviously and I, I, don't, I can't think of too many new things to say at the beginning either, other than thank you. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Brother Jeff, for the privilege, for the opportunity to uh, be with these incredible folks and to be gathered for this particular conference. Um, and with that, we'll, we'll dive in. Uh, as Pastor Jeff talked about this morning, which was an incredible message, amen, as always, amen. Um, and uh, But what he talked about was the fact that this week is designed for us to talk about this thing of the local church. That, that seems probably like the biggest no-brainer ever, since we're all sitting in a local church. But it's really not that big of a no-brainer. There are lots of things for us to talk about. The morning sessions, Pastor Joe McCaig and Pastor James DeCoker will be talking about the doctrine uh, of the local church. What I am uh, intending to do in our evening sessions is is talk about the intention that God had through the local church. I, I hope that you find it incredibly interesting. It, it is very interesting to me when you start putting all the pieces together. I also hope that you'll find it extremely practical uh, in terms of setting a course and direction for any church. Uh, and, and to begin to show you what, I, what I'm talking about, about putting these pieces together, there's a phrase that we throw around quite a bit in Christian circles that I'm afraid that we've probably never really allowed to strike brain. Okay? And and the reason that I'm saying that maybe it's never really struck brain with us is not because it is, you know, rocket surgery. It's not really that difficult to, to get our minds wrapped around. But I think what happens to us is a lot of times we we use this particular phrase. The phrase is the body of Christ. And I think we use that as just, you know, kind of biblical terminology, and we never really stop to think about what it is that we're actually saying about ourselves, about the local church, that we are the body of Christ. And so tonight, beginning in your notes, let's see if we can get an understanding of the body of Christ biblically. Okay, so if we're really going to understand it, there's two things that we've got to make sure that we keep in mind okay the first one is is this and this is this is simple but it we're we're building this case okay so the first thing we got to get our minds wrapped around is our Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth in a body we might could call that in terms of where we're going this week we might could call that body number one okay And if you would have been alive in the first century, you could have reached out and touched that body. You could have said to the guy next to you, this is the body of Christ. Because he came into this world in a literal, physical body. In Hebrews chapter 10... Verses 5 through 7, it records what is, in my estimation, one of the most intriguing, most fascinating conversations that has ever taken place in the history of the universe. Because what this passage is actually talking about is the conversation that the Eternal Father was having with the Eternal Word just before the whole Bethlehem thing. Can you get your head there? They're talking in heaven about what's getting ready to happen down on planet Earth. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith... Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body, listen to this now, a body thou hast prepared me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Okay, so there's a few things I want us to notice about this incredible little passage here. First of all, notice at the end of verse 5 that the Father prepared a body that the Lord Jesus Christ would live in for 33 half years on this planet. And it would be through that body, the body of Christ, as the end of verse 7 says, that Christ would carry out the Father's will on the earth. Okay, so as we allow ourselves to just kind of back up from that body so we can get the big picture biblically by comparing Scripture with Scripture, what we find about him carrying out the will of God that in that body that was prepared for him is that there were two things, at least two things, that God the Father intended that the Lord Jesus Christ would accomplish through that body. First of all, it was to put God on display in the world. In other words, to make his glory visible. John 1 and verse 14 says, speaking of Christ... And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, Christ came, and through that physical human body that had been prepared for Him, He put all of the glorious attributes of deity on display so the world could see who the God of the Bible actually is. Okay, so that was purpose number one. Purpose number two is to reach the world with the message of the gospel, the way that Jesus said it in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. For the Son of Man is come. Here it is. This is why he came, to seek and to save that which is lost. Okay. Now, I don't think any of that is new news for any of us. I think we all get that. But the reason that I'm walking all of us back through all of that is to remind us that the will and the purpose and the plan the Father had through the body that he had prepared for the Lord Jesus Christ, I want us to be able to see that so that we can make the connection that the Father wanted us to see When he comes along in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, when he lets us know, listen now, that he had prepared another body for the Lord Jesus Christ. Not another individual physical body, but a corporate spiritual body, the body of Christ known as the church, what we could call for our purposes this week, body number two. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23 says that the Father hath put all things under His feet, that is Christ, and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him. Listen to that the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And my brothers and sisters, it is the Father's intention. It is the Father's will. It is the Father's purpose. It is the Father's plan to use us as the corporate spiritual body of Christ to accomplish the same exact thing that Christ did through his individual physical body when he came to this earth. His purpose for us is namely that we now put God on display in the world. In other words, that we make his glory visible. That we put his glorious attributes on display. And secondly, that we reach the world with the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the, the message of the gospel. In other words, he, he now has us here to seek and to save that which is lost. He has us here to go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. And, and listen, the question that I pose to you tonight and, and we'll seek to answer through the course of tonight and over the next three nights is just how do we do that? As the body that the Father prepared for the Lord Jesus Christ in the dispensation that we call the church age, how do we fulfill the Father's will? How do we? Put the attributes of deity on display. And this will lead us into point number two, understanding the body of Christ genetically. We tried to get a biblical perspective. Let's just talk about this thing from a genetic standpoint. Okay, now we already talked about the fact that Christ was God in a human body the way that we have grown accustomed to saying it is that he was 100% God and he was 100% man. But have you ever thought about the fact that because Christ was a human, that he actually had human DNA? And I don't want to get too deep into the illustration, but when we understand biblically, listen now, that God now has us, his church on the earth, and we are the body of Christ, what it lets us know is that as Christ's body, we possess his DNA. Certainly not his physical DNA, because though we are indeed the body of Christ, we are not the physical body of Christ, but we are the, say it, the spiritual body of Christ and God's intention to use us is to use us to bear Christ's spiritual image, the image of Christ to the world just as surely as if we did possess his physical DNA. What I'm saying to you is that there was a genetic code that was inherent in Christ's body that made Christ who he was. And I want you to get it in your notes this way. Who Christ was in his individual physical body is who we are to be as his corporate spiritual body. Do you agree with that my brothers and sisters? And further, what Christ accomplished through his individual physical body, is what we're to accomplish as his corporate spiritual body. L- listen carefully to this now. So the whole premise of where we're going to be going in the evening sessions is that if we can identify who the Father intended Christ to To be, and if we can identify the attributes that God intended for him to display through that individual physical body of Christ, then it will let us know what it is that the Father wants us to be. It'll let us know the attributes of deity that he wants to be displayed through us so that we can determine biblically just how it is that God intends that we as the spiritual corporate body of Christ are to actually flesh out the attributes of deity in a practical way. I think the way that it's in your notes is we must learn how the genetic code that made Christ who he was in his physical body is to be fleshed out in us his spiritual body. And so what we're going to do tonight and again over the course of the next three nights is we are going to look at the genetic code, if you will, of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to look at what it was that the Father had prepared that body to put on display in terms of the attributes. And once we've identified that... We're going to look at each one of those attributes biblically to see just how it is through what he taught us in the Word of God, how it is that we as the corporate spiritual body of Christ have been called to put those same attributes on display in the world. You don't need to write this, but to give you an idea of where we're heading, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at these attributes. First of all, we're going to see that Christ was the Word of God, that he was the image of God, the glory of God, the life of God, the power of God, the love of God, and the life of God. And, And now listen, as we, as the body of Christ, look at those attributes And we ask ourselves biblically, okay, how is it that God wants us as the body of Christ to display that to the world? What what we're going to see, and this is where this thing gets extremely practical. Once we've identified how we do that, what it dictates to us is our core values. In in other words, what we're going to discover this week is what it is that God has set to be the priorities of His church. What the non-negotiables actually are. What it is that as the church we are to constantly be about. What are those things that we've got to be sure that we've never allowed ourselves to be moved away from? And this is, this is really the difference between an organization and an organism, okay? Because in an organization, they get to choose their core values, Those core values are set by the owner or, you know, the CEO of the organization. And and those core values are based on strategic philosophies that they've determined that they want to implement because they think if they implement those core values, the organization is going to be a success. And so what they'll do, and a lot of you guys are a part of these organizations, they'll take those core values and they'll put them up on the wall They'll refer to these in their meetings. They'll tell the employees that these are the principles that our organization is going to be run by. Okay, And that's all well and good. They have the right to do that. But what I, what I hope the Lord will allow all of us to see this week is that because we are the body of Christ... We aren't an organization. We are a living, breathing organism. And we don't have the luxury, we don't have the right or the whatever you want to call it to sit around in our ivory towers and dream up the strategic philosophies that are going to define us and by which we are going to operate as a local church. We don't have that luxury. Because, listen now, Who we are and what we do has been determined for us by the DNA that we've inherited from Christ. And our core values are determined based on the spiritual genetics of our chief executive officer, the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are to be implemented not for the church or the pastor can be a success, but they're to be implemented so that God can be glorified in the world. This is why Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 says, unto him be glory in the church, as the church of Jesus Christ, y'all. Who we are and what we do is based on who Christ is and what He did. And we've got to get to the place to where we actually are connecting the dots between body number one, the body of the physical, individual body of the Lord Jesus Christ, how that connects with this corporate, spiritual body called the church. And so tonight... I want us to look at the, because I knew I was going to have to set that up uh, for where we're we're heading. But tonight, I want us to look at the, the first characteristic or attribute that Christ put on display in his physical body. And we'll look at that and see how that translates into this first core value or this first priority that we must implement as the body of Christ. Okay, so number one. Because Christ is the Word of God. Okay, and I've already alluded that to that tonight. John chapter 1 and verse 1, of course, tells us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then we come down to verse 14, and it talks about that Word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory is of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth and so what what this passage tells us is the fact that Christ is the word of God verse 14 says the fact that he was the word was put on display through Christ's physical body in the fact that he was made flesh okay so the question is how do we as the body of Christ how do we now put the word of God on display in the world and I'm submitting to you that biblically this is why here's the rest of our sentence we must embrace an uncompromising priority on expository preaching. It's because the only way the Word of God is going to be put on display is if we hold to what God has instructed us to do in the local church. And to show you this, I want to take you to a passage tonight that reveals to us what it actually looks like in a local church just like this one when we're allowing the word of god to be put on display through us this is what i'm calling marks the identifying marks if you will the marks of a local body that embodies the word of god and we're going to be looking at ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 16, and I, I know that you know we've we kind of grown to the place to where we just kind of depend on the screen. I would love for you to open your Bible to the passage and see it from there. The cross-references, of course, will be uh, up on the screen. But marks of a local body that embodies the Word of God. Here's the first thing. In a local body that embodies the Word of God, Every person is edified in the body. Every person is edified in the body. Would you look with me at what God says to us in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. And I think all of us would agree that in this time period the body of Christ God is giving to the church as the end of verse 11 says that he's giving for sure pastors and teachers I think that most of us would be in agreement about the fact that this is referring to two functions of the same office pastoring and and teaching we have quite a few of those gifts given to the body in in the room tonight. And again, you pastors that have come from different places, man, we're thrilled to have you here. But I I want you to note that there is a progression that he lays out in these verses, and it goes like this, okay? God gives the pastors and teachers. The pastor-teacher does his job of perfecting the saints or the believers in the local church, and the saints do their job of carrying out the work of the ministry, and as they do, the body of Christ is edified. The body of Christ is built up. But I want to make sure that you notice that to get to the end result of the body of Christ being edified... It begins, the non-negotiable first step. And this is letter A in your notes. The pastor-teachers must perfect the saints. The end of verse 11 says that the reason that the Lord gave us pastors and teachers, as verse 12 tells us, is for the perfecting of the saints. This is why... Paul said in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28, Whom we preach, verse 27 is identified as Christ, Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man, what? Perfect in Christ. And what Paul lets us know is that the goal of the pastor teacher should be to bring the saints to maturity. The job of the pastor teacher is not to entertain the saints, it's not to motivate the saints, it's not to program the saints, socialize the saints, it's not even to organize the saints. It is to bring the saints to perfection, to bring them to full grown spiritual maturity. That is the task. In Acts chapter 20, verses 28 to 32, after spending three years in that local church in Ephesus, Paul pulled the pastor teachers of the church together to give them his parting words of admonition and warning. And he says in verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, listen to this now, to feed... The church of God. And I think he subtly reminds them that this isn't their church. It is the church of God, listen to this, which he purchased with his own blood, which would have certainly upped the ante of the responsibility of feeding the Lord's flock, right? But what were they to actually use to do that verse 32 says and now brethren okay these pastor teachers i commend you to god listen and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up And my brothers and sisters, that is the way that God has designed this thing of the body of Christ to be edified or to be built up by the saints being fed, not on the pastor's preferences and opinions while he's holding a Bible in his hand, not on pop psychology sprinkled with Bible verses, not on spiritual-sounding, positive mental attitude malarkey. He is to give massive doses of the pure, unadulterated Word of God. And biblically, the way that is done, I'm submitting to you, is through expository preaching. Listen, not just preaching but expository preaching. And, and someone w- might ask, well, what kind of preaching is that, brother? Because I've never seen that expository word in the Bible. And I, I do realize that particular word is not found there, but it is the kind of preaching that is described in the Bible. And do note that we get a, a form of this word expository as Luke described the kind of preaching that our Lord Jesus Christ did in those 40 days after his resurrection and prior to his ascension Luke says in Luke 24 verse 27 and beginning at Moses the first five books of the Old Testament and all the prophets okay all the books written by the Old Testament prophets whether they were major or minor whatever what did Christ do? He, say the word, expounded unto them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. In other words, what he spent his time doing for 40 days was expounding the scriptures. He simply stuck to the book and explained the book. We see that same thing in Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. We don't have time tonight to look at the whole passage. But we can get what we need for our purposes tonight in verses 7 and 8. At the end of verse 7, it says that they caused the people to understand the law or the word. And verse 8 tells us how they did it, y'all. They read in the book of the law of God distinctly or with authority. And gave the sins and caused them to understand the reading. In essence, you know what they did? They read the text, they explained the text, and they applied the text. Common word in all of that was text, it had to do with this book. It's the same thing that Paul was, was, trying, was trying to communicate to Timothy in terms of the responsibility to feed the flock of God. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, first, would you look at verse 12, it, it talks about those of us that are pastors using our lives as the platform that we use to speak. And, and what he tells Timothy is that our lives should provide an example of the believers. In word, that it's everything that we say as pastors. In conversation, that's everything that we do. In charity, in how we love people by meeting their needs. In spirit, what it is that just exudes from us. In faith, how we we trust God to work through his word to the flock. In purity, purity of our motives, purity of our lives. And Paul says, Timothy, Paul says to the 21st century pastors, feed the flock from that platform. And then he tells Timothy in verse 13, till I come, give attendance, Listen to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine, which is another way of saying read the text, apply the text, and explain the text. And Paul was coming to the end of his life. There was still more that he wanted to communicate to young Timothy about this thing of how we approach the word and how we proclaim the word in this thing of preaching. A very familiar passage in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. And and notice in verse 1 that Paul wasn't just giving Timothy, wasn't just giving those of us pastors, he wasn't just giving some casual advice here, he wasn't simply sharing from his heart some helpful hints that he had learned along the way from his vast experience, what Paul tells Timothy and us, That this is a charge that has been given to us by God and by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he sets it against our judgment as pastors at the judgment seat of Christ. Wow. And the charge is in verse 2. To preach the word. And so, as we begin to look at that, I want us to notice that, first of all, biblical preaching has to do with the intent of the message. Notice that Paul's admonition here is not to teach the Word, Timothy, but to what, y'all? Hello? Preach the Word, and the passage itself defines this intent of preaching, is not being loud, not being mean-spirited or yelling. It defines preaching the Word as taking this book and using it to reprove, to rebuke, and to exhort. It, it, it reproves letting us know that a message from the Word of God should be convicting It rebukes, letting us know that it should be confronting. And it exhorts, letting us know that it should be challenging. You see, yeah, it, it confronts us, and as it confronts us, it convicts us, but it doesn't leave us in a heap. It challenges us to deal with what has confronted us and convicted us, so that we can press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And Paul lets us know that all of this reproving and this rebuking and this exhorting, he says, is to be done with all long-suffering and doctrine. The, The word doctrine basically is the word teaching, and it lets us know that all true Bible preaching includes teaching but not the opposite is not always true not all teaching is actually preaching because preaching has to do with the intent and you can teach till the cows come home with no intent of it reproving or rebuking or exhorting anybody We can teach people to give them information, but when you preach, you are shooting for, not information, but transformation. And that's where the reproving and the rebuking and the exhorting comes in. And so biblical preaching, first of all, has to do with intent, but then secondly, biblical preaching also has to do with content, the content of the message. Notice that Paul's admonition in this passage is to preach... The Word. The Word is what is to be the content of our preaching. And notice that the admonition in the passage isn't that we're simply to use the Word while you preach, Timothy. It isn't to preach from the Word when you preach, Timothy. It isn't hold the Word while you preach so you look spiritual and it looks like you're preaching the Word. Don't just seek to persuade people by the Word. Again, it's simple, but it is extremely pointed in its admonition. The admonition is for us to preach the Word. And the reason that this is important for us to belabor this point, or for me to belabor it, and you to be laboring listening, is that sadly enough, Paul tells us in this passage that biblical preaching will be the exception in our time rather than the rule. Would you look at verse 3? Paul says, For the time will come, it's here, y'all, when they, the people in the churches, will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap to themselves. Teachers, not preachers, hello, having itching ears. All the people have these itching ears, and so the teachers, not preachers, the teachers are glad to scratch the people where they itch because it's great job security. And they, okay, this is the ones that have been entrusted with the responsibility of preaching that have turned it into something else, and they shall turn their ears the ears of the people in the church from the truth the word and shall be turned unto fables and it is just amazing to me that you can go to churches and you hear stories man and your people are actually teaching that as preaching because people can relate to that hello second timothy There's obviously other passages that we could look at in this thing of biblical or expository preaching, but based on what we find in Scripture, based on the things that we've already talked about tonight, allow me, if you will, to formulate a biblical definition of expository preaching. What is expository preaching? It is the impartation of God's truth presented in the power of God's Spirit For the purpose of edifying God's people. So they are conformed to God's image and equipped to fulfill God's mission. Though it certainly includes teaching, it is more than just teaching in that it reproves, rebukes, and exhorts. It is therefore convicting, confronting, and challenging. The preacher is authoritative and yet long-suffering because the authority is outside of himself, his authority is the word of God as evidenced by the content of his message. It is expositional in that it simply brings out of the text what is there, exposing it to view. The opposite of exposition is imposition, which imposes on the text what is not there. All preaching can be and must be Expositional, whether it be a verse-by-verse treatment of a particular passage or book of the Bible, or the biblical treatment of a particular topic. And again, it's expositional in the fact that the theme and the main points of the message are taken from the text as opposed to the mind of the expositor. Okay, we're we're working expositionally right now through Ephesians chapter 4. Pastor Jeff this morning had a topical message that was as expositional as any message you will ever hear in your life because what he did is he took the biblical topic, went to all the places in the Bible that talked about that very thing and presented that, and those became the points of the message. And that when we are talking about expository preaching that's what we're talking about is the points of the message are coming right from the bible okay and again i say as the body of christ we have been entrusted with the responsibility of putting the Word of God on display to the world. Just as Christ was the Word and manifested that through His physical body, we as the spiritual body of Christ have likewise been entrusted with the responsibility of putting the Word of God on on display, and that is manifested through our body, through our local church, as every person is edified in the body. And that's why, number one, the pastor-teacher must perfect the saints through the diligent study and the faithful proclamation of the Word of God through biblical or expository preaching. And as the pastor-teacher edifies the saints... Through biblical preaching, letter B, the saints must carry out the work of the ministry. Notice in verse 12, here in Ephesians 4, that the ministry of the pastor-teachers through the Word is for the perfecting of the saints, which isn't an end in itself. The perfecting of the saints is for the work of the ministry. So all the saints have what they need to minister to one another. And again, even that isn't an end in itself. It too is for the edifying of the body of Christ. In other words, the pastor-teachers do their job or fulfill their responsibility to the saints And the saints do their job of ministering to each other so the body of Christ can be and do just what the body of Christ did when he was here on this planet manifesting the Word of God through his individual physical body. And now he has us here to manifest the Word of God through the local body of the church. But in a body where this is really happening, the way that he says it in Ephesians chapter 4 is every person in the body is edified in that body. Then notice next that in a local body that embodies the Word of God, every person is unified in the faith. Every person is unified in the faith. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 13 says... Until we, what's that next word? Until we all. Not, not 80% of us. Not 95% of us. till we all. This is the design, you guys. That we all come in the unity of the faith. And of course, the faith is a, re- a phrase that refers to the sum total of of God's revelation that is revealed in His, in his Word. <laughs> and, and notice two thing, quick things about this unity that we're to have in our church. Letter A, we must keep it, not create it. W- would you look back at verse 3 of this same chapter, Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, endeavoring to create the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Is that what it says? No, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And you know why he words it like that? Because when we understood the gospel of the faith and we called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save us, listen, at that very instance, we were placed, as Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, go on to tell us. Listen, y'all, we were placed in one body and one spirit, even as we are all called in one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in us all. Wow, a lot of alls and a lot of ones there, y'all. And the idea here is he created the unity when he placed us in his body. And our responsibility is to keep what he created, which leads us to letter B, we must work it, not destroy it. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3 he says endeavoring listen to it y'all endeavoring to keep the unity and the word endeavoring there is translated in other places in our King James Bible as be diligent do diligence give diligence labor study and the point is in a local body of Christ that embodies the word of God every person is unified in the faith and we need to make sure that we all allow the word of God that gets proclaimed from this sacred desk Sunday after Sunday after Sunday we need to make sure that we allow the word of God to have free course in us and through us and we must all work tenaciously not to lose it because we've been called to keep it Because we have been entrusted with the responsibility of putting the Word of God on display in the world. And it starts with that guy right there, but that ain't an end in itself. As the body of Christ, man, we're seeing, we got to step up. And can I just say this? I don't have time to say it, but I I just got to tell you, man, we get calls all the time from people all over this country that are saying do you know that any any churches in this city that believe they're holding the words of God in their hand and have the audacity to just preach it and do you know any churches like that and and can I just say to you guys you are a part of one of the most unique churches on the face of the planet and I, I, I want to appeal to you my brothers and sisters don't take that for granted. Take what God is giving to you as an entrustment. Not because I say so, but because this is what the body of Christ is designed, as we're seeing from Ephesians chapter 4. This is how this thing was designed to work. We're unified in the faith, y'all. And man, we've got to work tenaciously to keep it. Man, don't let the pastors of this church get distracted because you're in some kind of funk with somebody else in the body. Man, I'll tell you, from a guy that has pastored this church, if there's anything that will suck the life out of a pastor, it is sheep that are gnawing on each other. (laughs) Okay, number three. In a local body that embodies the Word of God, every person is edified in the body, unified in the faith, but also every person is solidified in the Son. Look with me again at verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith, we just talked about that, and watch this now, and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And what's implied here is that we all come, right, in the knowledge of the God of the Son of God. And to give us a clear understanding of the knowledge of the Son of God that he's actually talking about, he qualifies it in the rest of the verse by saying, unto a perfect man, listen to this, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Wow. I mean, we could spend the rest of the night talking about those words, but he's talking about us knowing Christ Inside and out, up and down, backwards and forwards, from top to bottom. He's describing a a relationship. He's describing, y'all, a level of maturity that most Laodicean believers know nothing about. But if we ever will, what it means, letter A, is we must know the Word of God. And again I don't want I don't want to beat you up. I want to exhort you though, you're in a church where you can learn the Word of God if you will just get into this the the, the things that are laid out here. It's there for you. But I got to tell you, y'all, we must know the word of God because the Word of God, okay, with a small w, the written, Word is very simply the revelation of the Word of God, capital W, the incarnate Word, Christ. And so we must know the Word of God. I think you know this, but it bears repeating. Just because we have knowledge of the Word of God, though, doesn't mean that we have knowledge of the Son of God. You ever met those people? And that's letter B. We must not just know the Word of God, we must know the Son of God. And as we look in the New Testament, what we find, this is review, okay? What we find is that there are seven levels of growth in our spiritual maturity. We understand biblically that we are born again and we are babies. We progress to little children and children and young men and fathers, and elders, and the aged. Okay, seven levels of spiritual growth. We pick up three of those in 1 John chapter 2, and that's where I want us to direct our attention for just a, a second, because we pick up three of them, and we also pick up something else. In verse 12, he says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. Well, what does that mean, Pastor? You mean to tell me that babies don't have their sins forgiven? Absolutely not. Our sins are forgiven as soon as we call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save us. But did you know that once we are born again, it takes a minute before we actually can nail that down—the fact that we're saved. You remember getting calling on the name of the Lord? You're on this buzz, and then two weeks later, you go, "I don't. I, I think I'm in it." I I think I'm really saved. And and you're, you're a baby, man. You're just dealing with emotion. We grow into the little child stage when we come to the place to where, okay, I get it, I'm saved. I know that I have been forgiven. Okay? So we get that little child stage. Then notice in the middle of verse 13, we pick up another one of the levels of spiritual growth. The young men, he says, I write unto you young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. Wow. And then in the middle of verse 14, he tells us why they have. He says, I've written unto you, young men, because you're strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. So we've got little children in this passage. We've got young men, strong, word of God, abiding them. Then notice the beginning of verse 14. We pick up another one, the fathers, and he says, I've written unto you fathers, because you've known Him that is from the beginning. you remember what Paul said in Philippians 3.10? Oh, that I may know Him. Fathers spiritually know Him. And, and so in, in these, the three levels of spiritual growth that we're seeing here, listen, all three of them know something. The little children... Know they're saved. It's awesome. The young men know the Word of God and that's awesome. But spiritual fathers know the God of the Word which is more awesomer. (laughs) They, They know Him that is from the beginning. They know Christ They know the God of the Word. And the reality is, y'all, it's possible to know the Word of God without knowing the God of the Word. But listen to the rest of this. But it's impossible to know the God of the Word without knowing the Word of God. I mean, you you got to pass through that young man stage. But just because you're in that young man stage and you're strong and you're coming to wicked one, and because uh, you uh, you ain't arrived. We haven't arrived until we know him. That is from the beginning, and, and in a local body that embodies the word of God, every person is edified in the body, every person is unified in the faith, every person is solidified in the Son, and then number four, every person is fortified in doctrine. And doctrine is teaching. It is the precepts upon which the faith is built. In verse 14 of Ephesians 4, Paul says that we henceforth... Be no more children. Okay, now this is another level of spiritual growth. Remember, babies, little children, children. It's not little children, but children. He says that we henceforth be no more children. Well, what are they like? They're tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, and that's why we must be fortified, strengthened, girded in doctrine, which requires letter A, we must grow out of childhood. He says in verse 14, "...that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro by every and carried about with every wind of doctrine." And listen, y'all, it's not that being a spiritual child is bad. It's not that it's wrong. Again, it's a stage of our spiritual growth and development, and we've all got to come through that stage. But what's bad and what's wrong is to stay there. And that's what most Laodiceans do. But that next level of spiritual growth is that young man stage. And you remember what John said of them in 1 John two fourteen. We looked at it just a second ago. I write unto you, young men, because you're strong, and the word of God abideth in you. So there are no more children, which means they're not being blown away and tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And notice the next thing John says is characteristic of spiritual growth. Young men, he says, and you have overcome the wicked one, which just happens to be the next thing that Paul talks about back in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14. This is letter B. We must recognize the warfare. And what Paul talks about here is how it is that the wicked one operates. He talks about spiritual children being blown away and tossed to and fro. Listen to this by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. And my dear brothers and sisters, the wicked one has those types of religious deceivers and false teachers everywhere in the Laodicean church period. But in a local body that embodies The Word of God, every person is edified in the body, unified in the faith, solidified in the Son, fortified in doctrine, and then number five, every person is verified in love. In other words, we substantiate or we give proof of who we are by our love, which means letter A, we must all speak the truth in love. Verse 15 says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. And do you see that? Christ is the head, and we are his, what, y'all? We're his body, and we are to grow up into him, so we can actually put Christ as the word of God on display, and the way that we do that as the body is by speaking the truth, by speaking the word of God in love. Not just speaking the truth of God, but speaking the truth of God in love. And I i, I know that in our living faith churches, man, you know what, we're all, I think, pretty good about speaking the truth and love to lost people. But Could I just ask us to consider tonight just how good we are at speaking the truth in love to others in the body? Could I ask us to consider how good we are at receiving the truth in love by others in the body? But letter A, we must all speak the truth in love. And then letter B, we must all edify the body in love. Coming off of talking about Christ as our head, Paul says in verse 16, from whom and we just oh, listen to the words, y'all. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working and the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the, here it comes again, the edifying of itself, that is the body, in love. And from a very practical standpoint, what he's saying here is that for the love of our living head, the Lord Jesus Christ, and for the love of his body, the local church of which we are a part, If we're going to put who he is as the word of God on display in the world, what this passage tells us, what this particular verse tells us, is that every single one of us needs to be put in motion. Again, would you notice the words that he uses here? Whole body every joint, every part. Maybe we could say it like this, for the body to be the body, it takes everybody. (laughs) And and I'll conclude with, with this. Everything that this incredible passage describes about how God intended for the body of Christ to function begins with the pastor-teacher taking the Word of God and faithfully preaching and teaching it to perfect the saints. And everything else in this passage flows out of that. And so first of all, because Christ is the Word of God, we must embrace an uncompromising priority on expository preaching. And Lord, I pray tonight that we will allow our minds to get wrapped around that and everything that flows out of that so that unto you can be glory in the church.